The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush University Medical Center. This week on the show, I've got some great subjects and topics to talk about. We'll talk about men's health in Movember. That's right. Athletico's Brett Wapatish will join us. And we'll talk about the men's pelvic floor and also some of the things that uh, they specialize on and how they're helping their male patients in this a very interesting uh, subject, and also in the Men's Health Month of November. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Michael Carter-Williams, a member of the Chicago Bulls. He has a bone bruise, and Dr. Cole will tell us uh, what that is exactly and how it's treated. Then we can get Michael Carter-Williams back on the court. And then we'll talk about ankles for life, the rise in Achilles injuries as well. Dr. Simon Lee an orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush will join us here in studio talking a little bit about foot pain and how they treat it. Stay with us. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Back to get it going right after this on ESPN Radio. Feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, Fat-Burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmalkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. And uh, Dr. Cole, we've got one of your uh, partners in, uh, in-house, one of your doctors at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, Simon Lee. Dr. Lee, thanks for, uh, for joining us. And uh, what do you specialize in? Uh, I'm an uh, orthopedic surgeon who specializes in foot and ankle disorders. And Dr. Cole, uh, it's so important, right, to have uh, this variety at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush because, uh, you know, you're doing a certain type of surgery um, and treatments, and then you've got all these specializations, correct? Yeah, I mean, we often joke, like, I only do left shoulders and right knees. You know, we've become <laughs> really hyper-specialized, which on the one hand can honestly be frustrating for a patient where they would like to sort of show up and have everything managed. But the flip side is that by specializing in certain joints, it makes a huge difference because, you know, the body of knowledge for orthopedics probably doubles every five years. And that includes all these different treatment options. So there's no possible way to stay on top of sort of all these evolutionary things that are happening. So, I, you know, Simon is uh, our, our, one of our premier foot and ankle specialists. And one of the things that we've begun doing is we've started these various campaigns for education 
we started Shoulders for Life, Knees for Life, and now uh, Simon and the other his partners, foot and ankle partners, have been largely responsible for establishing Ankles for Life. And and maybe you know Simon, we've added to our foot and ankle group. Maybe just briefly tell us, you know, all of our foot and ankle surgeons who make up our section of uh, uh, foot and ankle surgery now. Yeah. So uh, including myself, uh, the most senior partner with us is George Holmes. And then uh, there's Johnny Lynn, and then we recently added uh, another new partner, uh, Kamran Hamid, uh, to our group. So uh, there's four of us now specializing in foot and ankle disorders with our practice. And you have a fellowship now? Uh, Yep, and we've started our own fellowship. So we've actually started uh, training orthopedic residents to become uh, foot and ankle specialists ourselves. And so we are on our uh, fourth year of fellowship training. Yeah, that's a big deal because... um you know, one thing is to be just in practice. Next is to be in practice and do academics, which is research. And the next thing is to train our future leaders, which, you know, these guys were responsible for taking people who are done with their preliminary training, which is residency, and then going into fellowship training. So uh, probably the highest honor is sort of training their next level of experts uh, as a legacy. Terrific. So, Dr. Lee, um, tell me in layman's terms, and uh, how common are ankle injuries in athletes? Uh, I mean, if you took one of the most common injuries in orthopedics in general, it would be your ankle sprain. Okay. I don't think we necessarily all get formal treatment for them, but that's the most common orthopedic sur- or injury in the country. But certainly uh, major foot and ankle injuries probably ranks number two or three in terms of sports injuries. Are they more prevalent in uh, younger, older uh, weekend warrior athletes? I think we get a little of everything, but I think certainly... Uh, I think we're seeing a general trend towards being healthier and more active and kind of athletic. So I think certainly we're seeing it in a lot of older people who I think aren't doing some of the proper things to kind of keep, uh, I would say, their ankles tuned up and kind of ready to go. So I think certainly while we see it in a lot of uh, athletic kind of, you know, club sports and year-round athletes, we're also seeing it in the older population that's trying to keep active as well. I mean, I would tell you that for my experience with the bulls, the foot and ankle, and it's followed by hand are probably the two most common things I see. We see plenty of knee issues, uh, but foot and ankle by far and away. Like, remember we had one year a couple years ago where we had, like, five cases of plantar fasciitis. I mean, it just if you looked at the lost time, it was amazing, and I think a lot of it was due to shoe wear and so forth. But we have, like, these themes every year. One year it's, like, lots of ankle sprains. The next year it's plantar fasciitis. Uh, we've had a few uh, turf toes, something that we typically see. Steve, you may remember we've talked about that. Sure. Something we would typically see in the NFL, but we actually were getting in the NBA. And it's it's fascinating. I, I, it, like, for example, ACL injuries for a while were largely due to changes in shoe wear and turf and interaction and things like that. I, I really believe that there's some relationship between, you know, the evolution. It'd be really interesting to track how shoes have changed over time, what's led to different level, types of injuries, because there clearly is sort of the flavor of the month every year in the NBA in terms of what we're seeing. Yeah, and I think it's certainly a, a frustrating type injury with foot and ankle stuff, because I think it's a little bit of a wear and tear and kind of a chronic overuse type of thing. So you're trying to keep these people moving and kind of on pace, but at the same time, you know, sometimes they just kind of need a break, but you don't get that type of break sometimes. In let, athlete, let me uh, ask you a question. Athletics. We, we go through this uh, periodically. Um, almost all of our guys now get taped. It's interesting. In college, some of them have never been taped before. And we early on had an ankle sprain in a, in a young man. I'm not going to use his name, but he had never been taped before. Now he's getting taped every game, you know. Cause they How don't, are they not taping in college? We got taped in I high school. You know, I, I know. It's, <laughs> um, I, th- I think it's not like it's a deficiency. I, I would tell you a lot of players are being taped, but it's just 
some people don't like the feel of it. They've never had an ankle sprain. They just sort of, you know, they just don't do it. And in in the data on taping is really fascinating. I mean, it starts to break down in the first, you know, several minutes of play, and it generally has to often be redone. So I, I'm curious, Simon, and you may not know the answer because this is an area that I'm not sure. This is really training room stuff, but training room versus braces. Like when you get these, the younger kids who come in, probably lots of girls, these get these recurrent ankle sprains or more lax. What's your recommendation? Because some of these schools don't have the the the, the resources to to provide this. What would what's your answer for the younger age group who doesn't have a full time athletic trainer necessarily? Even if they do, they say, "Hey, should I tape or should I brace?" And then, what's the role of rehab uh, in sort of preventing recurrent ankle sprains? Yeah, I mean that's a double edged sword. I say because I think you're taping to kind of give patients and uh, athletes some confidence and kind of give them a little bit more security and support in the ankle. But ultimately, I think you want them to be strong enough and kind of have appropriate proprioception so that right. they're not actually spraining their ankle. So I think when they're a little weak or a little bit lax, giving them that little extra oomph or a little push to kind of keep them competitive and not have that uh, apprehension is a key. But at the same time, I think uh, rehab is of utmost importance. So I think a uh, uh, common example is ACL. I think a lot of the actual physical therapy training and proprioceptive training for these athletes is just as important as talking about trying to brace them or kind of, you know, preventing the injury versus kind of uh, do you think treating one, afterwards. So, so from a prevention point of view, do you think one versus the other? Do you have any strong sense, bracing versus taping? I know we've gravitated more towards taping. Yeah, and I think taping is probably a little bit more customized. The problem is, like you said, it's very labor-intensive. So if yeah. you get a, a trainer at a local high school and he's got 400 kids walking in practicing every day, it's kind of hard to get that many ankles taped. So I think the resources you have with the professional team is uh, significantly different than uh, high school or uh, club teams. Okay, and then finally, I get this call about every, probably twice a month, and you see a lot of these guys. Uh, what? How do you know you tore your Achilles tendon? What's the story? What happens? What do, you, what, what do they say? You can diagnose it over the telephone. What do they say? It's that classic story. I mean, they tell you they were stepping and just ready to push off and suddenly felt a pop. And actually, a lot of times they look around to right. see if something, someone actually hit them. They feel like do you hear can, the they, pop, too? Uh, they can they can hear the pop. I don't think other people can hear yeah. it, but they can hear and feel a pop. And they swear someone kicked them. Right. So they're looking around to see if somebody kicked them or if, yeah. you know, some ball or something hit them in the back of the Achilles. And basically kind of like a warm kind of flush over the Achilles, and then they can't walk. So we just had one today. Wow. Yeah. Our guest, by the way, is Dr. Simon Lee foot and ankle orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. So take me back, though. That was a good question, but I want to know, what the what is the Achilles? I've always been told kind of a, a, a large rubber band on the back of your, back of your foot. Uh, I mean, in the simplest sense, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, but the Achilles uh, is actually made up of a muscle that actually starts above your knee and then basically crosses both the knee and the ankle joint. So about mid-calf, that muscle becomes the tendon that inserts into your heel bone. So It is that long, huh? Yep. It's the longest uh, and largest tendon in the body. And it's yeah, but long. it's not all tendon. I mean, let's – so I want to – you know, it's interesting. Anatomy is fascinating because every time you cross two joints, there's probably more than twice the chance you can injure a muscle tendon because you're depending upon the mobility of both of those joints. But when you think about it, you say, okay, look, it's the, the gastroc tendon, the tendon starts above the, is that what you're envisioning? And then you go mostly muscle and then your tendon again. Like what, how uh, do you when, you, when you say that, I'm curious what you mean. 
So it's mostly muscle. So it's actually made up of three muscles. So two actual separate muscles that come together. So I think you can think of uh, your calf. It's actually made up of two large portions. And then there's a deeper muscle inside called the gastroc. So those two kind of start as muscle higher up in your calf by your knee and probably around mid-calf actually become a tendon. So in that area, the two tendons actually come together and then insert into the heel. But that tendon's kind of um, exposed to not just, I guess, an up and down pounding motion, but there's also a lot of uh, torque, so a lot of twisting motion to it as well. So it's actually under a lot of stress, as Brian was saying, just um, you know, in terms of overall uh, expectations. So there can be obviously a full tear of the Achilles, but are there kind of mini tears or ruptures of the Achilles, and are those different? Yeah, so I think the mini tears and kind of what we would consider more of a wear and tear issue uh, is probably more, I tell people, like getting gray hair. So I think the older you get, kind of your hair ages, things get gray, that tendon's getting a little gray. So certainly if you've uh, been a little bit more athletic and had a lot more um, you know, pounding on it, you're going to have a little bit more changes related to it. Um, so certainly the acute quick tears, the ruptures, the classic thing, that's kind of a, a young man's sport and kind of what we call a weekend warrior injury. Well, great stuff, uh, Dr. Simon Lee. And you've got a big event coming up on November 30th, Souls for Souls. Tell us about that. Uh, so this is a national uh, event, and essentially uh, yearly, right around Thanksgiving, here in Chicago we will do uh, cover of a uh, local homeless shelter. So essentially we provide uh, foot care, foot exams to about uh, 200 of the uh, homeless, and then we will basically distribute uh, shoes and socks uh, for all of those guys before the winter starts. Wonderful stuff. Dr. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. That's Sports Medicine Weekly's Dr. Simon Lee. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. Back with more after this on ESPN Radio. I'd been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance scheduled me right away. No wait, everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, or even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality state-of-the-art health care services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis, methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News and World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. 
You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole, and Dr. Cole, of course, the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls. And Dr. Cole, of course, one of the uh, early season injuries to a Chicago Bulls player happened to Michael Carter-Williams, one of the newest Bulls players who came over in that trade for Tony Snell from the Milwaukee Bucks. Terrific trade by John Paxson and Gar Foreman. But unfortunately suffered a bone bruise early in the season. And I want to know, Dr. Cole, what exactly is a bone bruise? So, you know, in the classic sense, you know what a bruise is. A bruise is like a contusion. It's a direct blow to something. So that's right. that's what you would be, you know, most familiar with, right? Sure. Uh, but it, the most of the bone bruises that I see in competitive sports are usually due to a direct impact while they're doing their sport. So, you know, years ago we had... Uh, Yao Ming come in with a bone bruise that happened in a very typical way, in a hyperextension injury. When they, when they land, sort of the heel or the back of the foot takes all the load and it gets transmitted up to the level of the knee. And then there's something that gets picked up. The x-rays are typically normal, but then we get an MRI and the MRI shows basically a bruise in the bone. And they're rarely catastrophic. They're rarely long-term. But the, the, the radiologists, for example, say this looks like a bruise. And in fact, it's almost like a a stress fracture or a reaction in the bone just because the impact is so significant. For example, every ACL tear that we see, for the most part, has a bone bruise because the tibia translates over the femur, the shin bone translates over the thigh bone, it moves across it and almost like it's a dislocation, and there's this huge impaction that shows up on the MRI is what we call a bruise. Let me stop you there. So I'm thinking contact or non-contact, contact, because I think Michael Carter-Williams was a contact injury, and most we always talk about most ACLs are non-contact. Yeah, no, I think, Fix honestly, I think his injury was a, what we call a hyperextension injury, where they come down and the leg goes straight, and two surfaces contact each other with load. So bone bruise can be on many different parts of the body, but you're talking specifically about a knee yeah, here Yeah, I mean, in this case, bone? we're giving an example of a knee, so the femur and the tibia, the shin bone, and the, and, the, and, the, and the thigh bone come into contact, and that's what causes the bruise. We see bruises in, you know, fingers, we see them in wrists and things like that, and they're basically due to a high load that transmits force through the cartilage surface to the bone beneath the cartilage. So think about the bone is the foundation and the cartilage like the icing on the cake. And then there's this direct impact. And depending on where they're located, they can be on relatively non-weight-bearing areas. When that happens, the recovery can be actually pretty quick. So we treat these almost like stress fractures. There's a reaction in the bone. There's overload. We sort of protect their weight bearing, keep them out of non-painful zones. Excuse me, we keep them out of painful zones by various range of motion or weight restrictions. And generally, it gets better predictably very quickly. It doesn't require a whole lot of active treatment, but you got to give them some degree of rest so that the pain gets better so they can tolerate high load. Yeah, what is the treatment, if anything, then? Yeah, so first, there's a lot of things we learn. We look at the location by MRI. Then we clinically evaluate and we say, look, how does the position of your joint line up with where that bruise is, and then we correlate with what's on the MRI, and they're usually one-to-one. You know, if it's in one location, you kind of know where they contact one another. So we try try to restrict that range of motion location and restrict the load directly in that area so the bone can heal. You know, fractures take six to eight weeks to heal biologically. These can take that long to heal to the point where they're completely healed, but they may get pain-free well before then. So we give these timelines based upon our knowledge and understanding of the location and, 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 and what it takes to actually shut them down enough so that they get better. A lot like a stress fracture. Is it more of a pain tolerance situation then in the case of a bone bruise? Or are you talking um, about structure as well? It's generally less about structure and it's more about tolerance. I think the challenge here is it's not that an individual will get injured by going back with pain. 
I think, you know, my first rule of thumb is that, excuse me, if performance is, is suffering, that's when we um, limit them. Because I don't want someone to go in if their performance is not normal and they're favoring it because to me that maybe runs the risk of another separate injury. So we we sort of gradually increase their activities to the point that if they have a little bit of discomfort, we don't want it to escalate, and we certainly don't want that degree of discomfort to be associated with any drop in performance. If those things can happen and there's a little discomfort, we let them progress. But if it translates into something where they're not performing as well or the pain starts to escalate, that's a whole different story. So a lot of monitoring then in a uh, situation like this when you're uh, kind of trying to figure out treatment plans and kind of a step at a time then and a day at a time, right? Yeah, we, we talk about this concept of something relative rest. Um, relative rest is not completely shutting them down, but shutting them down to the point where they can still stress their joints, stay conditioned, but not overwhelm the joint that's trying to recover from an impaction or a high-load injury. All right, that's Dr. Brian Cole, our head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, talking about bone bruise, something that Michael Carter-Williams, one of our Bulls players, uh, has undergone. So let's stay with us, folks. Hope you do. We've got more of Sports Medicine Weekly right after these messages. On ESPN Radio. Returning patients who suffer from cartilage defects to an active lifestyle is the goal. Prochondrix, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore life. To learn more about Prochondrix or allografts, visit Prochondrix.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Colnett, proceeds from our program, Sports Medicine Weekly. Go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. And our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Dr. Cole, I'm looking at you here in the studio, and you are clean-shaven, so am I. Did you know it's Movember? Maybe grow some, uh, grow a mustache or a beard for Movember Men's Health Month. Uh, Steve, I can probably do that in a matter of 24 hours. I don't know if you've ever seen how quickly it happens. But, uh, yes, I'm, I'm aware it's Men's Health Month, the November. It's something that I think often gets neglected, so uh, actually happy to see it. And uh, as you and I get into our uh, uh, early uh, middle age years, it becomes more and more relevant. All these things we've got to start watching out for. Don't mention it. My goodness, yeah. I feel older every day. I don't really mentally, but physically, you know. Yeah, I The understand. aches and pains are coming. Let's bring on our next guest. He is from Athletico. They do such a marvelous job in growing every day. Breck Wadapich is with us, uh, from facility manager from 18th Street here in Chicago. And, Brett, thanks for uh, for joining us. So, um Let's talk a little bit, uh, if we can, about what you guys are doing for Movember with the M. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me. I appreciate any time we can uh, provide some uh, education to the general public regarding this topic. So I see that you are an expert in men's pelvic health, okay? Yes. So the reality is that some of the problems that I've seen have been associated with those who have hip issues, maybe who have undergone labor repairs, Mm -hmm. hip arthroscopy, things like that, but also prostate issues, the consequences of prostate treatment, things like that. So I largely this has been a field that I've seen relegated to women. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burgeoning field that requires, you know, intense, you know, uh, science, attention to science and treatment. Tell me the issues that you're dealing with in men and what are the most common ones? Because this is relatively uh, even new for me. Yeah. So some people are terming this in terms of the physical therapy world as the final frontier um, in terms of physical therapy. So uh, in the early 90s, there was a huge women's health movement. Um, and then from there, we realized that the men also have pelvic floor 
And my patient population currently ranges now from a 19-year-old with pelvic floor pain to a 75-year-old with uh, status post prostatectomy with uh, incontinence. What, what, really what's my, the primary source of pelvic pain? Um, so I Pro- would say, prostatitis. I mean, what what, yeah, what so, conditions? So, so prostatitis is typically the the diagnosis. And for instance, like this patient that I have, who just finishing up his final year of college, has really gone to. He had an internship out in California, so he went out to Stanford, and, and no one could really diagnose what his source of pain was. And the answer is it's just muscular. It's myofascial, just like any other body part. Um, I like to make the, the best analogy with the cervical spine. The cervical spine acts very similar to the, to the pelvic floor. Times of stress and research shows this. The pelvic floor goes into um, a basically a, a tightened or spasm state, and then, therefore, um, when the muscle sits in that state for a longer period of time, it becomes chronic pain. So prostatitis is the diagnosis, but oftentimes there's no bacterial infection. Right. And so, well, prostatitis is not necessarily believed to always be bacterial. Correct. It's a really, it's a big wastebasket category. Exactly. That, you know, it's interesting. It's one of those things that's very common in men, uh, often associated with uh, increased levels of alcohol intake. Mm-hmm. Um, Spicy food, yep. Uh, sleep changes, things of that nature, and it's just a really significant level of discomfort, abdominal, you know, perineal, pelvic, um, that uh, may not have anything to do with an infection whatsoever, or it might be viral, what have you. Are the urologists plugged into this as a referral source? Because they are beginning to. to. They're beginning yeah. to. I just had a lunch with a group of uros um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'd say some are like. For instance, uh, there's a physician at Rush who's very, uh, very interested in this patient population, and I think that it's the patient population that they struggle with too. So yeah, I think that no, they're becoming more and more familiar with it. Yeah, and now at this point, it's I do um, support groups for status post prostatectomy, and it's amazing to me how often. Uh, patients are not educated that, that there's something they can do regarding these issues. Our guest is uh, Brett Wapatish. He is a facility manager at Athletico on 18th Street in Chicago. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. It is Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. So what type of patients do you see with uh, pelvic floor issues? You mentioned kind of anyone from uh, yeah, boy, 19 to 75, It right? amazes me as the longer I've done this as, as to how many patients actually have pelvic floor issues. And unfortunately in our culture, we just kind of like ignore it. Um, and it's, but, it's mostly a pain then. You can feel it then. Yeah. So so I'd say so there's pelvic floor pain or dysfunction. And so um, those patients tend to be younger, and as, as Dr. Cole alluded to, was that those patients come in with the diagnosis of prostatitis. But really from... In terms of pelvic floor symptoms or how pelvic floor weakness can translate into symptoms is, is a lot of urinary incontinence and whether or not. And then from urinary incontinence, there's um, stress incontinence and urgent incontinence and a bunch of different other ones. So that's the other kind of realm of, of, of men's health or the realm of patient population that I see. So how do you uh, how do you determine what it is exactly and how you can help these patients? Yeah, so really, and that's what I always tell patients is is really schematically, it doesn't look that much different than treating any other orthopedic musculoskeletal pain uh, or or just issue in terms of uh, in terms of the evaluation and treatment. Um, although it's slightly more invasive or can be slightly more invasive, um, essentially the evaluation looks very similar to say if a patient came in with shoulder pain and we're kind of trying to figure out whether or not their pain originates from the neck that radiates into the shoulder or if actually the pain is just in the shoulder. So um, how that relates to the pelvic floor is that the initial evaluation, you're assessing for muscles that are tight in the pelvic floor, um, like your levator ani, coccygeus, your obturator internus, which is a huge 
hip external rotator, which can have dysfunction and tightness, and then um, and then also addressing muscular weakness and and uh, and control and and beyond that, that's kind of just the general gist of it. It's pretty simple uh, when it comes and, down to it. And one last question: yeah. When you um, one of the sources of pain is often an, uh, an athlete's hernia, which is different than a classic hernia. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that your level of training now, you could sort of ascertain? Because that's a big wastebasket category. And, and frankly, is that one of the things you're treating? Because yeah. we don't we don't know what to do with those. They often linger for a long time. Do you have you are you getting patients referring with the sports hernia that's different than the classic inguinal hernia that we yeah, see? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the and then generally speaking, it's just pelvic pain, but it's more like groin and like testicular pain that that I'm treating. And so, um, so yeah, that's certainly another patient population. But again, I would say that that fall falls much more with like the younger patient population that I'm seeing. Brett, what is the treatment then when you talk about pelvic floor and some of these things uh, mm-hmm. around the pelvic bone and that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so. Uh, and it and it can vary up to to see to the patient as to what they feel comfortable with. Um, typically, at initial evaluation, we'll do a uh, we'll do an internal exam that tells me actually a, a ton. Um, unfortunately, the patient is uh, is lying down. A lot of these like older patients that have had prostate exams for several years are like. I'm fine with it. Just do what you need to do to make this pain go away. And then the patients that are chronic pain are like, just do whatever. Hopefully they're making instruments uh, that can be used outside the body, right? <laughs> yeah. So also, and, and and certainly, and I've had patients that aren't comfortable with that, and then we just do external treatment. And a lot of those muscles, not all of them, of course, but some of those muscles you can access externally, and that's slightly more comfortable for all parties. All right. Interesting subject, really. Brett Wapwatish is with us uh, from Athletico. Athletico.com is the website. Brett, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks we have, for having me. We've been doing this show now for five, six years and uh, haven't uh, really talked about the uh, men's pelvic floor and the uh, male uh, pelvic pain and uh, dealing with uh, things in November. So we appreciate you educating us. Thanks for having me. All right. Back with more Sports Medicine Weekly after these messages. Weekly after these messages. The Chicago Bulls, White Sox, and DePaul Blue Demons rely on Midwest Orthopedics at Rush for advanced orthopedic treatment. So can you. We are the team physicians for these Chicago teams, and we're ready to be on your healthcare team too. Get expert care from these regional leaders at four Chicagoland locations. Learn more at RushOrtho.com. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, your world-class team physicians. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Sports Medicine Weekly has been brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy, by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, by Karen Malkin Health Counseling, by Integrated Orthopedics, by Source, by Donjoy Orthopedics, by Midwest, and by ATI Physical Therapy. Many thanks to our producer and board operator, George Katsourilos. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. We also want to thank David Cole for managing the website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on ESPN 1000. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. 